So we're continuing our series, Transforming Power of Prayer and Worship. And this morning, this is really high, wow. That's a bit better. There we, there we go. So we're actually looking at Romans 11:33 through to 12, 2, and exploring what spiritual worship is. Being brought up in the charismatic church, we'll get to the passage in a minute. I'm a little bit different to how we normally do things. Sorry. Keep us on our toes. But being brought up in a charismatic church, I always thought that spiritual worship was the times in worship like we would sing out in tongues. Or we would have those really long, drawn-out moments in worship where we just kind of sing things to God from our own hearts. And while they're great expressions of worship... I'm not sure that's what Paul is going to go on to talk about in our passage today. I don't want to place these as absolute no's either, by the way. In Romans 11.33 to 12.2, the passage we're reading this morning, we're going to be looking at four virtues of spiritual worship. So less the action and more the virtues that are displayed in spiritual worship. And they are spiritual worship glorifies Spiritual worship offers, spiritual worship reforms, and spiritual worship transforms. So, hopefully, those of you who have a Bible have turned to Romans 11, verse 33. If not, it's going to be up on the screen, and we'll start reading. We're reading in the ESV this morning, so it might be slightly different to some of your translations. So let's read verse 33. It says, All the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the NIV adds the will of God, the perfect will of God. So, we're, we're at a bit of a transition point here in the book of Romans. We've dealt for 11 chapters on really the theology of what God's done for the, the, the Jew and the Gentile. And now we're going to deal from chapter 12 onwards with what that looks like in our life. What is the implications and the application for our life right now? And Paul closes out this chapter with an absolutely incredible prayer. It almost sounds like worship. I wonder how many of our prayers start with, oh, the depth, the riches, the wisdom of, the, oh, of God, and ends with, for from him and to him and through him are all things. I think the reason this, this passage sounds so, this prayer sounds so worshipful is because I was thinking about it, and I was like, it's, this, it's two sides to one coin. If you, you look at the old one-pound coins, they were, you kind of did that a little bit, and 
just doing that, they look almost exactly the same. And it's not until you stop and you see that, okay, maybe the picture's slightly different, the one side's in Latin, maybe. But they're, they're used for the same purpose. They're both there to glorify God. Well, not the pound coin. You can glorify God with the pound coin, but in prayer and worship. But then Paul takes us into the first point of application, which is about worship. The most important part of Paul's argument is that we should worship. So I mentioned these four spiritual, uh, these four virtues of spiritual worship, rather. And we're going to go through that first one now. So the first virtue is glorifies. Paul is always concerned with giving the glory to God. You look at all of Paul's prayers throughout his epistles. So there's, there's one in, in 1 Corinthians, there's one in Galatians, there's one in Colossians. And they all end with to the, to the glory of God the Father. See, Paul's concern, just like Jesus' concern, is that the Father is glorified in his worship and in his prayer life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism is a series of question and answers that is, is meant to give us some kind of conformity of faith. And in 1646, a group of English and Scottish uh, theologians, some of them were Anglican, gathered and discussed and wrote the, out these questions. What are the most important things that we need for our faith? And do you know what the first question is? The most important thing that these theologians wanted us to know about the Bible and about us. Well, the question one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? Basically, what is man's ultimate purpose? Well, it says this. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our ultimate purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Modern worship songs um, kind of took a bit of a weird detour for a little bit. There was a bit of a trend maybe about six, seven years ago where almost every Christian song coming out in the charts, or the Christian charts, were just talking about us, what we can get from God, what we can receive from God. And whilst that's not necessarily bad, it's not glorifying. And from that, there was a bit of a satirical video that came out on YouTube. I wonder if any of you have seen it, but it was in the style of those, those TV commercials that come out about Christmas, and they were like the greatest hits of someone. So like Michael Bublé sings the Christmas hits or something, and it will say, oh, he's singing Jingle Bells, and it'll come up with a little clip of that, except this replaced it all with, oh, you'll hear such great songs like, God, I'm so good, or I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about me. And whilst it's satirical, there was a serious point in that. For, for a season, for a period of time, they were the songs that came in and came out of the church. But when I viewed this video, it kind of cut me to the core a little bit because I don't want my worship to be about me. I don't want it to glorify me. I don't want to talk about what I can get from God, but actually, I want my worship to glorify Him. There's some of the, the great older worship songs, even some of the hymns that just are ultimate glorifying anthems. How Great Thou Art, for instance, just starts with, Oh Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider all the worlds the world thy hands have made. And then comes into this big crescendo of a chorus that says, Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. 
how good you are, how great you are, God. Hmm. Does your worship glorify God? Or does it lift up me, you? Does it glorify his, his qualities, his attributes? Are we singing how holy he is, how good he is, how righteous he is, how merciful he is, how unchangeable he is? I want to encourage us that in our worship, not just our sung worship, but our lived worship, that it would be lived to the glory of God this morning, from this morning forward. It would be lived in the glory of God. Does your worship glorify him? The second virtue of spiritual worship is that it offers. In the Old Testament, we get a picture of what spiritual, well, worshipful offerings look like. And, and we tend to read this a lot in Leviticus when it goes through the list. Maybe some of us have skipped over it. Who skipped over it? A couple of times. Well, the one time I, I sat, the couple of times I've sat and actually read through all of them, you'll see this phrase a lot. Insert offering here without spot or blemish. It had to be holy and pleasing. It had to be without blemish. And Paul writes here in, in Romans 12:1 to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In other words, offer your bodies without blemish. The other thing about the Old Testament offering system was that it, it was costly. It was supposed to cost. For instance, a bull. Big old bull was worth seven years' wages. Now, last, uh, I, I looked at what the average wage in Jersey was last year, and I, I very quickly got very depressed, realizing how far away my salary is from apparently what Jersey's average is. 42,000 pounds. Crazy. But this is to just illustrate 42,000 pounds times seven. Right? I'm, I'm not even going to do the maths. I failed maths twice. But it's not the kind of money that we carry around with us daily. We don't have that just to give away like a snap of our fingers. But worship is supposed to cost us something. It's not an offering if it doesn't cost. Does your worship cost you? Because Paul said it should. He says, offer your bodies it's not necessarily financial, it's, it's something of ourselves. We offer something of ourselves before God. In 2013, I wanted to end my life and, and, and I had this encounter with Jesus. I've shared parts of this story before, but as I was on the car journey home, I was praying and I was full, I, I believe I was full of the spirit. I was joyful, I was leaping. I felt like the leper in Acts 3. Is it Acts 3? Uh, um, the, the lame man, sorry, at the at Gate Beautiful. Running and leaping and praising God. I felt like that, but except I was in the car, so I wasn't running and leaping. The thing is that I was praying to God on the way home, and I was just saying, God, I saw no value or worth in my life. But you clearly do. So use it. Where you see value, where you see worth, use it. And, and to, <laughs> I'm going to say to the best of my ability, really, but it's, it's 
to the best of my ability, trying to live obedient to what God is doing and what God has called me to do. And kind of Paul says it like this. He says, I've lived my life poured out as a drink offering. He says that to Timothy, one of his disciples. Spiritual worship should cost us something. It should be an opportunity to offer something of ourselves to him every time we come to worship. Do you have a good singing voice? Can you pray well? Are you naturally a thankful person? If it's a no, then I want to tell you where you see no quality, where you see a bad singing voice, where you see a terrible prayer life, God sees something of value and worth. I've been in plenty of churches where there are plenty of people who do not sing well. Sometimes it's me. (laughs) But they sing. Doesn't matter how uncomfortable they are, they sing. It offers something of themselves. Is your worship costly? Is it an offering? If it's singing, then, then sing like only one person is listening. God. Don't worry about the person to your left or your right. God gets our worship. If it's, if it's prayer and you don't know how to pray, just start with thank you, Jesus. That's the best prayer I think anyone could pray. Offering your little before God is beautiful. Beautiful to him. It doesn't have to be loud. doesn't have to be crazy. doesn't have to be over the top or eccentric. But ultimately, spiritual worship does offer. The third virtue of spiritual worship is that it reforms. 1 John 4 tells us that the spirit of God opposes worldliness. That's world system sin, things that are against God and abhorrent to him. And Paul writes then, do not conform to the patterns of this world in Romans 12. See, true worship brings reform because it desires, it requires us, it causes us to desire God's desires rather than the world's. In Wittenberg, Germany in 1517, there was an Augustinian monk called Martin Luther. And he found, as he was searching the scriptures, he found 95 points of contention and conflict between the Catholic Church and the Holy Scriptures. And he went and posted what's now known as the 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg Cathedral door, which, by the way, was the normal way to start a scholarly debate. We now use Twitter. And it started the debate, but after much trial and, and persecution and all these things that happened to Martin Luther, he was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. But God also rose up a really interesting invention around this time called the printing press. So the 95 Thesis got printed, translated, went across most of Europe and caused what we now call the Protestant Reformation. This was picked up in the UK through Oliver Cromwell, in, in, uh, in Switzerland, in Geneva with Calvin and within the Catholic Church itself with a priest called Molina. Their spiritual worship before God was to bring people back to truth, calling people back to a biblical standard, a biblical truth. Spiritual worship causes us to oppose the world, 
causes us not to compromise on, 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 but to obey God's word. When I say oppose, I don't mean we're violent, right? I mean we still speak the truth in love. (laughs) So ask yourself today, have I compromised on God's word? And as a result, is my worship compromised? Am I continually coming back to the word of God as my source of worship to him? Is my worship reforming me? And finally, the final virtue of spiritual worship is that it transforms. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So worship has already caused us to to not conform to this world, but it also transforms us. We've been reformed and transformed. Why? Because it takes our thinking away from us and places it onto God. God becomes our focus and God gets our attention in all situations. I wonder how many of us this morning have kind of already been thinking, did I get the oven on in time? Ah, did I get that reservation for, for the, did I get the booking sorted? Or maybe you've got people coming around after church and like, did I hoover? I know my wife would be like that. (laughs) It's really easy to let these things take our minds away from God in worship. And it happens. And I mean, I've been distracted. I was just super distracted last week during worship and I was leading it. (laughs) But when these things come up, in worship, have we ever just tried pushing through? Have we just kept singing? Have we just kept turning our face towards Jesus? Because it opens up space for, for God to come and move. It opens up space for God to come and like speak to us. We see breakthrough when we start pushing through. If we just give up at the first distraction, then nothing ever gets done. Trust me, I've got ADHD. I get distracted all the time. <sighs> does your worship transform your thinking does it transform your mind and your actions because today I urge you as the words of Hebrews 12 say to set your minds on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith the one in whom we worship the one in whom we glorify and magnify the one who transforms our minds as our thoughts are set on him Spiritual worship transforms. So maybe like me, you're here today and you thought spiritual worship was just about everything that we do. The singing in tongues. Maybe for some of us it's the the sharing in, in, in communion. But spiritual worship glorifies God. It offers something of ourself before God. It reforms us. It reforms the people and the communities and the the governments around us. And ultimately it transforms our minds, causing us to become more Christ-like. Do we see these in our worship? And I, I don't say this to bring condemnation. I bring this 
this morning to invite you into experience of this. I invite you to cry out with all your heart that you would see all of these displayed in your worship. And I don't mean sung worship. I mean, your, as, I, as I said at the beginning, your lived worship. Everything you do in your day, is it done to the glory of God? Is it offering something of yourself? Is it reforming and is it transforming?